Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik. Welcome to another Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, April 6, 2010. Today, I will discuss several updates regarding various state historic tax credits. Last week, Minnesota enacted a new state historic tax credit, and the week before, a study was released with encouraging findings about the economic impact of Missouri's state historic tax credit. Also last week, Kansas lawmakers passed legislation to lift a cap on the Kansas state's historic credit. After I report on all that good news, I'll review a notice published last week by the California Tax Credit Allocation Committee. In a memo circulated last week, the state shared important information for recipients of Recovery Act funds regarding disbursement requests. Finally, I'll share a summary of a report released last week on the Build America Bond Program. According to the Treasury Department, $90 billion, that's billion with a B, in bonds have been issued under this Recovery Act program to date. But first, I want to provide an overview of the Congressional calendar for the coming months. I also have important information for victims of the recent storms and flooding in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and West Virginia, who may qualify for tax relief from the Internal Revenue Service. Regarding the Congressional calendar, Congress is in recess right now and will return the week of April 12th. Upon their return, they'll face a packed congressional schedule and roughly 15 weeks of floor time between the Easter recess and the August recess. Specifically, they have seven weeks between Easter and Memorial Day recess, four weeks between the Memorial Day and the 4th of July recess, and then four weeks before the August recess. And given that this is an election year, many members of the House and Senate will be eager to spend time in their districts and states as they run for re-election, which means floor time between the August recess and the November elections will be quite limited. Fifteen weeks may seem like a lot of time, but the following is a mere partial list of agenda items. First, for our listeners, action on tax extenders will be watched closely. However, upon returning, an immediate legislative item will be the extension of unemployment benefits, which expired yesterday, Monday, April 5th. House and Senate budget committees will also need to mark up their fiscal year 2011 budgets. Also, the estate tax expired at the end of last year, an extension of that tax will be a high-priority item. Congress also hopes to pass financial services regulatory reform. Annual appropriations bills for each of the various federal departments will also need to be passed. Then there's the issue of expiring 2001 and 2003 tax cuts, immigration reform, energy legislation, and other jobs bills. So as you can see, there will be a lot for Congress to do upon their return. Turning to the recent severe storms and flooding that have hit the Northeast, President Obama has declared several disaster areas. In Massachusetts, the President declared Bristol, Essex, Middlesex, Norfolk, Plymouth, Suffolk, and Worcester counties federal disaster areas qualifying for individual assistance. In Rhode Island, the President declared Kent, Newport, Providence, and Washington counties federal disaster areas. And in West Virginia, the President declared Fayette, Greenbrier, Kanawha, Mercer, and Raleigh counties federal disaster areas. As a result, the IRS postponed until May 11th certain deadlines for taxpayers who reside or have a business in the disaster area. This postponement includes postponing the April 15th deadline for filing 2009 individual tax returns, making income tax payments, and making 2009 contributions to an IRA. Affected taxpayers in a federally declared disaster area also have the option of claiming disaster-related casualties on their federal income tax return for either this year or last year.
Details about the IRS's disaster relief provisions for these areas are available online at www.irs.gov. And in next week's podcast, we'll discuss more specific long-term tax credit deadline extensions. In the meantime, Novogratz Company can assist taxpayers who may be affected by these floods. To find a Novogratz office near you, please visit www.novoco.com or send us an email to cpas at novoco.com. Moving on, we have exciting news about a new state historic tax credit in Minnesota. Last week, Governor Tim Pawlenty signed into law House File 2695, a bill comprised of tax incentives to stimulate job growth in Minnesota. The bill establishes an uncapped, that's right, uncapped, state historic rehabilitation tax credit that mirrors the federal historic tax credit. The new law allows a state income tax credit equal to 20% of the cost of rehabilitating a qualified historic property. Supporters say the tax credit will create between 1,500 and 3,000 construction jobs annually if Minnesota's program is consistent with similar states' programs. The law allows a developer to choose either a certificated, refundable credit or a grant, which supporters say will stimulate not-for-profit use of the incentive. The tax credit can also be used against the insurance premium tax, which widens the investor pool. Projects must be income-producing to use the credit, which makes homesteaded residential projects ineligible. Projects will be eligible to claim the state credit if they're allowed the federal credit. The Preservation Alliance of Minnesota reports that the state currently has 1,600 listings on the National Historic Register of Historic Places, representing almost 7,000 individual properties. If you're developing historic properties in Minnesota, I encourage you to contact my partner, Tom Bosha, for tax and accounting assistance. Tom can be reached at thomas.bosha at novaco.com. That is T-H-O-M-A-S dot B-O-C-C-I-A at novaco.com. Thirty other states have similar historic tax credit programs, and supporters are quick to remind us that historic rehabilitation generates jobs in the construction trades at a time when employment in this sector is desperately needed. Which brings us to news from Missouri, where the cost of the state's historic tax credit has come under question in recent months. Late last month, a study commissioned by the Missouri Growth Association found that Missouri's historic tax credit program spurred $2.9 billion in private investment from 2000 to 2009 and either saved or created 43,150 jobs. The study examines the economic impact of state historic tax credits for commercial and residential projects. It found that Missouri issued nearly $832 million in historic tax credits from 2000 through 2009. According to the report, the state received approximately $162 million in sales or use tax revenue and almost $395 million in income taxes from the economic activity associated with historic tax credits, all of that since 2000. Combined, those figures represent an estimated total of more than $669 million in revenue for the state. The study was released the same week that Governor Jay Nixon proposed cutting state tax credits to counteract a $500 million budget shortfall. Missouri Growth Association President Wendy Tim told the St. Louis Business Journal that the study was commissioned long before Governor Nixon announced proposed tax credit cuts, but the timing couldn't have been better to convince state legislatures of the benefits of tax credits. A copy of the report can be downloaded from the Novogratz website, www.historictaxcredits.com. On a related note, lawmakers in Kansas already appear to be convinced of the benefits of state historic tax credits. 
Last week, the Kansas legislature approved a bill that removes, yes, removes the annual cap to the Kansas State Historic Tax Credit. A two-year cap on the tax credit was imposed last year in an effort to mitigate state budget issues, but a number of large historic rehabilitation projects were held up as a result. When these projects stalled, lawmakers decided the state needed the economic activity and jobs that these projects would provide, so the cap was removed entirely after just one year. At the time of this recording, Governor Mark Parkinson was expected to sign the bill, but had not formally done so. We will post an update at www.historictaxcredits.com when the bill becomes law. And in the meantime, links to current state and federal historic tax credit legislation and links to state's historic tax credit programs can be found there as well. And as I mentioned earlier, contact my partner Tom Bosha if you need assistance with a historic tax credit rehabilitation project. Moving on, I have an update from the California Tax Credit Allocation Committee, or TCAC, regarding its low-income housing tax credit cash grant exchange program that's made available under the Recovery Act. Last week, TCAC sent an advisory letter to Recovery Act loan and grant recipients about the cash disbursement request process for Recovery Act funds. The notice says that neither TCAC nor its contractor have the capacity to process monthly draws for the extremely large volume of Recovery Act loans and or grants. The notice says that as such, each borrower must ensure that no more than two disbursements are requested to reach each tranche percentage specified in the loan or grant agreement's disbursement schedule. For example, if a loan or grant agreement states that your project may access 40% of the Recovery Act funds upon construction loan closing, you must request the full 40% with no more than two disbursement requests. TCAC says the same applies to Recovery Act gap loans or grants. The gap amount must be drawn down with no more than two disbursement requests. Recovery Act borrowers and grantees should also remain aware of the federal deadlines for drawing down these funds and ensure that reimbursable eligible costs will be incurred prior to these deadlines. For example, loans and grants funded with TCAP or Tax Credit Assistance Program monies must have eligible costs totaling 75% of the Recovery Act award and must draw down those funds by February 1, 2011. A copy of this notice and other information related to state's administration of the Recovery Act tax credit programs can be found online at www.taxcredithousing.com. Simply click on the Hot Topics option in the News menu. Now let's move on to an update on Build America bonds. On Friday, April 2nd, the Treasury Department released a new report showing that the Build America bonds program has resulted in significant savings in borrowing costs for state and local governments. The report finds that Build America bond issuers will save more than $12 billion in borrowing costs on bonds issued during the first year of the program as compared to issuing tax-exempt debt. The Build America bonds program was created by the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, or ARA. It allows state and local governments to obtain financing at lower borrowing costs for new capital projects such as the construction of schools and hospitals, development of transportation infrastructure, and water and sewer upgrades. Under the Build America Bonds program, the Treasury Department makes a direct payment of cash to the state or local government issuer in an amount equal to 35% of the interest payment on the bonds. In addition, the Treasury Department released its monthly comprehensive update on Build America Bond issuances. The Treasury Department reports that Build America Bonds have had a very strong reception from both issuers and investors. From the inception of the program in April of 2009 through March 31, 2010, 
there have been 1,066 separate Build America bonds issued in 48 states. These issues equal a total of $90 billion through March 31, 2010. According to Treasury's report, for the $90 billion in Build America bonds issued, state and local governments will save $12.3 billion in the net present value of borrowing costs compared with issuing traditional tax-exempt bonds. The report also shows that the decline in underwriting costs of issuing Build America bonds leads to a more level playing field with respect to traditional taxes and bonds. Now let's take a look at the tax credit calendar. This month marks the start of another conference season for Novograd and Company. We're kicking things off with our Financing Renewable Energy Conference on April 29th and 30th. The Renewable Energy Tax Credit Program is growing and it's flush with opportunities and this conference will help you learn how to position yourself to take advantage of these prospects. Our Energy Tax Credit Conference will be followed by a conference entitled Working with Litex in an ARA World, ARA as an American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. I invite you to join us on May 13th and 14th for this exciting event in New Orleans. This conference will focus on the numerous intricacies of developing with Litex, taxes and bonds, TCAP monies, and credit exchange grants, and more. And then it will be time for Novogratz's 9th Annual New Market Tax Credit Spring Conference in Washington, D.C. The conference will be presented on June 10th and 11th, but it's not too early to register. Other items on the calendar for April include the April 16th meeting of the President's Economic Recovery Advisory Board. The purpose of this meeting is to continue discussion of the issues impacting the strength and competitiveness of the nation's economy. The discussion will include an update on the research and preparatory work conducted in the board's subcommittees and recommendations to the president. The board will provide information and ideas obtained from across the country that would promote exports, help grow the American economy, establish a stable and sound financial and banking system, create jobs, and improve the overall long-term prosperity of the American people. Of particular note, though, to many of our listeners, tax reform is on the agenda. The meeting will be held on April 16th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and it will be open to the public via live webcast at www.whitehouse.gov. In addition, an 18-person bipartisan fiscal commission is scheduled to meet on April 27th. This commission will meet to identify ways to cut the budget deficit. This National Commission on Fiscal Responsibility and Reform was created to build bipartisan consensus to set forth solutions to tackle the nation's fiscal challenges. The Commission will make recommendations to balance the federal budget and meaningfully improve the long-term fiscal outlook. We'll report back in future podcasts on the findings and recommendations of both of these meetings. And while we're looking at the calendar, it's also worth mentioning that April is Fair Housing Month. To commemorate the enactment of the Fair Housing Act 42 years ago, in April 1968, HUD celebrates Fair Housing Month each year in April. The Fair Housing Act makes it illegal to discriminate in housing transactions based on race, color, national origin, religion, gender, disability, or familial status. Each year, HUD and other organizations recognize Fair Housing Month by hosting an array of activities that enhance awareness of the public's right to fair housing and highlight the national commitment to oppose housing discrimination. Speaking of HUD, Novograd and Company offers a broad range of professional services to assist clients overcome the many challenges within the HUD multifamily housing arena. Our HUD team specializes in a variety of HUD programs, including Sections 
221D4 and 221D3, Section 8 contracts, Sections 202 and 811, as well as 232 and 223F, as well as numerous other HUD programs. Our professionals offer the services needed to assist with this ever-changing compliance area. The firm's expertise in the HUD multifamily housing industry include a range of services in connection with combining HUD financing with tax credits and ongoing financial compliance of your HUD properties. So whether you own, manage, or develop HUD projects, I'm sure we have services you could use. To learn more about how Novogratz & Company can help with your HUD project, I encourage you to call my partner, Susan Wilson, at 512-340-0420, or you could send her an email at susan.wilson, W-I-L-S-O-N, at novaco.com. Wrapping up today's podcast, I do want to remind you once again that Congress reconvenes next week after their two-week state and district work period. Some issues of particular interest to the tax credit community are still in play in Congress. These include the proposals related to the LIHTC consensus proposals, but it also includes other issues. One, a proposal to expand the exchange program to include buildings financed with taxes and bonds. Two, provisions related to the taxation of carried interests. Three, the HUD rural housing and CDFI fund budgets for fiscal year 2011. Four, an extension of the new market tax credit program. And five, a proposal to allow the new market tax credit to offset the alternative minimum tax. And six, a number of historic tax credit simplification and modernization provisions. I'll discuss each of these in more detail next week upon Congress's return. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Please join me again next week, and in the meantime, I encourage you to follow me on Twitter. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next Tuesday. Thanks for listening. (music) 